And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Good Tuesday morning and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. And today we've got a couple of great guests on tap. We're going to be talking about how wonderful it will be to live in the hive. Uh, Thumper, I uh, I know you love uh, being in the hive and uh, you're going you're gonna to love the discussion we're going to have today. Tom DeWeese has been in this fight for a, a very, very, very long time. Uh, Tom was a newspaper editor. Uh, he got involved in the 90s in uh, Agenda 21 information, started doing a lot of research, and uh, found out that this was really his area that he wanted to concentrate on, and he started doing programs all over the country. He's written a half a dozen books about UN Agenda 21. He's been incredible in the fight. I met Tom, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, I think, in a small town in Washington. We were doing a, a program together, and uh, since then, I've uh, run into him about a dozen times over the years, and I'm telling you, this guy knows more about Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, than just about anybody else on the planet. And joining us as well is uh, Diane Gruber, and Diane was in the Portland area. She's a, a retired attorney that was in the Portland area and saw the destruction that happened in Portland as a result of all these progressive policies and actually had a landmark uh, uh, lawsuit against the uh, Oregon State Bar Association because they were literally picking and choosing who were allowed to practice law in Oregon based on their political beliefs. And uh, she's quite a fighter. and. She has really, really exposed a lot of what's been going on in the metropolitan areas and how they're trying to drive a lot of people off the countryside and into the cities. So with all that uh, as an opener for this, I first want to welcome uh, Tom DeWeese because Tom has been involved the American Policy Center. He is, uh, he's been traveling the country. He was in Montana 
about a month ago. As a matter of fact, Tom, you were here doing a program while I was down in Texas and New Mexico doing a program for another group down there. So that's why I didn't show up in Billings. But he did a program with uh, Dick Pence in uh, Billings, Montana. And I, I'm telling you, uh, this guy is a fighter extraordinaire. So with that said, Tom, welcome to the program. Oh, you're, you're muted. Mike. You're going to need to unmute yourself. There we go. <laughs> Sorry about that. No good problem. Good to be with you. Yeah, good to see <laughs> you. That problem too. <laughs> anyway, we're uh, we're we're talking about living in the hive, and this is certainly an area that's near and dear to you, Tom. You've been fighting this forever. Uh, talk about some of the new programs that are being planned for Americans. The fifteen-minute cities are the. Uh, the latest iteration of uh, programs that are going on all over the country. But basically what they want to do is force us all to live in stack and pack housing in cities, in human kennels, as Dr. Michael Kaufman used to read. <laughs> um, well, and everybody on the outside, Diane, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, please mute yourself uh, if you're not uh, actually talking. Very good. And then, and then we'll unmute you when you uh, when you're on. Very good. Okay, thank you. All right, Tom. Uh, I guess is that enough to get this started? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what we, uh, as you mentioned, getting involved with Agenda 21 in 1992. I, I had seen uh, earlier than that. Uh, I was asking questions about the environmental movement, and I kept asking the question, "What about the property rights?" Of, of, of people with uh, with these policies that they were all uh, talking about locking away massive amounts of land and so forth and that's what really got me involved in in all of this and uh, and I found that uh, well they didn't really believe in property rights so that was the key that's why they didn't care uh, about it and wanted to lock it away and then uh, as as they move forward with with this control that they were looking at to completely control well they they said that agenda 21 was a comprehensive blueprint for the reorganization of human society and that is your first you know red flag to come out on this what do they mean by that and we've watched them progress over the years from agenda 21 to agenda 2030 which now came out with 17 uh, specific goals which have now become the the esg goals of every community uh we could win it out a little bit and uh then it leads to the green new deal and then the great reset all of this is a plan to completely control human society and uh the smart growth plan to move people off rural areas, out of suburban housing, things like that, into those stack and packs in the middle of the city. Um, the, the diabolical thing about all of this, they chose to, to control human society instead of bringing in armies and uh, you know subjugating us that way, they came up with a plan of a fear tactic, the fear of environmental Armageddon. Doesn't matter how many rights you think you have if you don't have a planet to stand on. That's the, that's the basis of what they do here. And what's diabolical about that is the environment doesn't recognize boundaries, the boundaries of a sovereign nation, the boundaries of a state, the boundaries of your yard. And so environment goes through all of that. So when you're trying to control the environment, 
then you can control everything in its wake. And that's why this is so diabolical. And uh, and the growth cities, the, uh, the kennels absolutely are that. They can control your energy use. They can control your travel. They can control uh, you know, pretty much every aspect of your life. And that's, that's the bottom line of what this is all about. Well, and uh, Tom, um, this really started uh, and became kind of a public issue as a result of a meeting of the Club of Rome because they were trying to decide. There was a group of oligarchs, a group of, uh, well, I call them uh, uh, power elite, that uh, were trying to figure out a way to subjugate mankind because they thought, or at least their supposition was, that uh, man was outstripping the resources of the planet and with human population, everything is a zero sum game to a communist or to a Marxist or a, te a technocrat. Uh, so you, society would use up all the resources of the planet uh, through overdevelopment unless these people were in charge taking taking control of everything. And they came up with this plan in the late 60s, and the book Limits to Growth really outlined how they planned to do that through the environmental movement. And like you said, there's nothing that's new on the planet. And if you connect the dots, all the things that happened in the uh, Nixon administration, the ESA, the the uh, uh, creation of the EPA, all these things happen as an outgrowth of the Club of Rome documents and them deciding that uh, basically environmentalism had to be the tool to to subjugate humanity to a one world government. Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know having to change our behavior, how we think, how we act. Uh, and of course, free enterprise became a major target. Free enterprise, private property, individual liberty. You can't have people thinking outside the box. You can't have people, uh, you know, breaking the rules here because, uh, well, you're going to destroy the planet. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's the tactic. And uh, what you end up with there is, uh, you know, people. You know, one of the great things about the United States as it was created was that people had the ability to follow ideas and dreams and so forth. And uh, that became, you know, where we, we became, uh, uh, you know, thinking about things and, and, and coming up with new ideas and better ways to do things. When you're in a society where you're not allowed to think about any of these things or there's going to be consequences, then there's nothing new that comes out of it. And uh, progress stops. You are you are just sitting there, uh, as as Michael said in the in the kennel, and, uh, and nothing moves in any direction. And when you look at you know communism in the past, the Soviet Union was famous for. You know, every time you talk about any communist country, what you always talked about were the empty shelves in the stores. There's nothing there. Uh, there was just basically subsistence of uh, of life. And uh, that's what it becomes. Nobody moves in any direction. And uh, there's no uh, ingenuity for anything. And we are seeing that now. And uh, and I've also been, as you talk about, I was in Montana. I actually did six cities there in six days uh, in the San, uh, South uh, Dakota and uh, Wyoming as well. And what we were talking to were the farmers. 
the farmers are absolutely under attack now, uh, try, you know, being able to grow our food. And uh, they're, they're working to shut that down. And now they've got their own alternative of what our food will be. And uh, ain't none of us going to like what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they talk about insect protein and some of the other things to replace meat. Uh, th- th- this is all tied together, Tom. The, the environmental movement is tied in with the animal rights movement. It's tied in with the chemical industries. It's tied in with corporate fascism. I mean, there's no, there's no single thing that's part of this plan that isn't part of the plan. And uh, certainly education is one of them. You talked about innovation and critical thinking and things that used to be part of the American process. It used to be part of our our way of life, but also it was something that was considered a strong point of being American. And now we've got our, our schools are being dumbed down to the point where so many of our young people are incapable of critical thinking anymore. And that's certainly been intentional, hasn't it? Absolutely, and they're not allowed to have critical thinking. The uh, what we the, the the education today in America is really about behavior modification. It is not about academics. And you can tell. You see these, the, you know, people like uh, on Jesse Waters show and so forth, where they go out and take a ma- microphone and they put it in front of people and ask them just very basic questions. What year was the War of eighteen twelve fought? Nineteen forty-two. You know, this, they, they know absolutely nothing about our history, about our economic system. It, it is all behavior modification to get them to uh, to all think, you know, not think, but operate the same way. And, um, uh, you know, just have, there are no absolutes, except you're absolutely not allowed to think. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is the, the, the education system is designed. If you look at it from the point of view of those who were uh, advocating from the very beginning a global control and in almost every other nation on Earth, the government was designed to where it told you what your rights were going to be. In the United States, we were created with the very specific thing that we have God-given rights, we have rights we're born with, and it is government's job to protect those rights. That was a problem for these globalists. That had to be fixed. And going into the education system and completely changing, erasing all of that, and uh, and this behavior modification, get people all thinking in the same groupthink. Uh, and not knowing any background and, and, and so any academics, that has been the way they've done it. And uh, they leave no stone unturned. The other thing that we have to know, uh, people in their own communities seeing maybe they helped elect somebody to the city council or the county commission, and they, uh, uh, the, you know, all of a sudden, they, they think they're a good guy, and all of a sudden they won't talk to them anymore and they're doing something really strange. What people need to understand is that as soon as these people get elected, they may be good people, you put them in there, they are absolutely surrounded by non-governmental organizations. There are 20,000 of these organizations, many of them operating directly from the United Nations. Uh, They're international, they're national, and they also set up local ones, but they're all tied together. There is not a single policy that's coming out of your city that isn't 
tied to a specific NGO. They know exactly how to write it up. They know how to present it. And they know exactly what grants to go after to put that in place because they helped write those grant programs. And so there they are surrounding your elected officials, putting all this stuff in place. And if one of us shows up, you get those three minutes to talk to your city councilman as they sit on high looking down at you. Uh, and you start saying uh, things about these programs, this is something they haven't heard. And uh, because the, it, it talk to your councilman and they'll say, well, this is just the way it's done, that this is the proper role of government today. Everybody's doing it. That's because that's what they've been indoctrinated for. We haven't been there to bring the other side in. And uh, so they're able to paint us as nutcases and, uh, and, and shut us off. And that's how they're operating here. And this is what I'm doing across the country is I'm working with people locally to try to teach them how to deal with this and, uh, and be there. That's, that's the key. Well, it is the key. And you're right. I, uh, as you know, I spent some time as a county commissioner and I saw this firsthand how these nonprofits and these groups would come in and influence the uh, the so-called elected leaders. And I have to tell you, a lot of them, uh, you know, they very innocently but very intentionally fell for the bait because there was money involved. And that's always the way it works. They they entice you into bad actions by putting grants behind it. And those grants have always got a ton of strings attached to them. Uh, they've always got so many uh, things that you've got to follow policy-wise. And I, I have to tell you, Tom, when I became a county commissioner, one of the very first things, they send you to a county commissioner training program. And guess what? Uh, all the people there that are educating you on how to be a good county commissioner are NGOs and nonprofits and people promoting Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 policy. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. it, I mean, it was in their training manual. I had that in my uh, video that I did about Agenda 21. And it was one of the first things they did is try to train you to think like a sheeple, you know, and be part of the program. That's just kind of yeah. the way it worked. Well, um, I, I want to try to get Diane uh, into the discussion here. Diane, you can unmute yourself now. Thank you. And, uh, okay. We'll get you into the discussion because you saw this happening in the state of Oregon and in Washington. And all I can say is that uh, you being involved in the fight has been a terrific addition because you're not only an attorney, you've got that, uh, that legal training and the understanding and the process, but you're also an incredibly strong patriot. And thank you for being that. Thank you, Dan. Well, I'm not the expert that Tom is, and I haven't been, uh, uh, I didn't wake up to this issue till about three years ago when I was uh, writing for a different blog. And I kind of accidentally stumbled upon this, uh, this idea. Now, this was during the Trump administration, but uh, 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 Obama started to destroy the suburbs um, about 10 years ago. And then Trump woke up belatedly in his term and uh, and canceled what they were doing. And um, 
the and 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 let's go back a notch. The word suburb, uh, it isn't just the suburbs that they're trying to destroy. The exurbs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just give you what they're what they're planning to do. They want to, t- and you were talking about the money. Well, twelve hundred, about ten, give or take, during uh, the Obama administration, twelve hundred cities and municipalities took grant money from HUD, and now they are being threatened by um, Mar- uh, Sec- HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge. I love that name. Um, uh, being threatened that if they don't basically uh, uh, develop this these stupid ass equity plans, they're going to be fined. They're going to be punished. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let me go back a step. The plan is to take voting rights away from the suburbs, and I'll explain how it really spreads out beyond the suburbs in a minute. Take voting rights away from the uh, the residents of the suburbs. Take all their zoning rights away. Uh, and that includes things like sewer and parks and recreation and all the things that co- go together that are currently being decided at the local level, whether it's a suburb or a small town. These decisions are all being made by the people that actually live there and are, mm-hmm. are you know, have to have to live under the conditions that that are produced by these by whatever rules they come up with. Okay, all that will be taken away from those communities and given to the adjacent big cities. And then they will be sucked in. It will be one huge conglomeration of a huge, huge big city where, and of course we all know the, the currently all the big cities are, have been in the vice grip of Democrats for, I would say my entire lifetime or almost as long as I've been around. You know, and so basically, this is another way too to to get more power and control to the uh, 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 to the to the Democrats. Okay, and I looked up your county, Dan, Madison County. Mm-hmm. You're safe for now. Okay, not really. Gallatin, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, Gallatin County is not safe. Mm-hmm. And here's what they do when we talk big city, and I'm using quotation marks here. The, the federal bureaucrats, I'm trying to be polite here. The federal bureaucrats have termed that to be any city with 50,000 or more residents. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they, 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 they created what is called metropolitan statistical areas or uh, micropolitan statistical areas around these big cities. Okay. Well, Gallatin has uh, Bozeman. Bozeman has a population of about 54,000. So this statistical area, the federal government has decided that it's not enough just to control Bozeman, but their statistical area is the entire county of Gallatin, where there's only 118,000 population. Now, Bozeman didn't take any of this money back. 10 years ago. So I, I think they might be safe for a while, but I'm just using this as an example. You Bozeman, know well. That, Bozeman, uh, yeah. uh, Diane, I'm going to tell you, Bozeman is totally controlled by uh, the the liberal uh, new age people. It's a, uh, a community that is controlled by planners 
is controlled by uh, the the whole leftist idea ideology. Ah. They've got over 500 NGOs in Bozeman that are manipulating much of the state of Montana. So Bozeman is not a safe area. As a matter of fact, uh, when you were talking about uh, Madison County, we're not safe either because our uh, ex-planner, she retired, thank God, but uh, she was the president of the uh, Montana American Planning Association. She was absolutely immersed in Agenda 21 ideology. And uh, she was she was so behind all these goofy ideas. Uh, I fought that tooth and nail and, in fact, stopped a couple of really, really draconian things that would have changed our entire county. Uh, and thank God we did because it, it slowed the process by probably 20 years. So uh, I, hopefully it's making a difference. But what you're talking about, this regionalism is, is called a cog, councils of government, where they bring in um, regional areas into a non-elected body of so-called experts, planners, people like that. Yeah who yeah. uh, create a whole dynamic, a whole program on how the local communities have to live, and they do it without any input by elected officials, or very little. Uh, you know, they always have one or two elected officials sitting on these cog bodies just to try to give it a uh, air of uh, le legitimacy, but in fact, it really isn't. Diane, are you, uh, it looks like you may have locked up. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, now they are, uh, okay, I can hear you. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I you... wanted to say what they're doing right now is um, uh, the Biden administration, and he even said, can you hear me? Uh-huh, we can. Okay. The Biden, uh, when, Okay, when Joe Biden was campaigning, he even said he was going to, he was going to take this destruction of the suburbs, take the tax base away from the suburbs and the exurbs and give it to the, to the major cities, the close by major cities. He, he, he loved this program that Obama started and Trump stopped, and he was going to put it on steroids. Well, now they have uh, uh, put together this scheme where these 1,200 municipalities that took money during the Obama administration, they are now going to be forced to uh, submit equity plans to the HUD, and then HUD will make some decisions about whether or not there's enough oh, racial diversity or uh, sexual identity diversity within those communities. Mm. And... Uh, and then move forward. And if you don't submit these equity plans and don't do what they say, then they're going to fine you. Well, what one of the things that's troubled me is these are these are human beings. Let them live where they want to live. Right. Just because somebody's a certain color, whatever, whatever they are, right. you know, they're going to drag them kicking and screaming to live in a, another area just so that they can, um, you know, they can claim to be, you know, diverse and everything. And it's stupid because they're they're using the word segregation. They're claiming that the suburbs are segregated now. Well, they aren't. 
50, uh, you know, 55% of Americans live in suburbs and the racial diversity of those suburbs has been growing significantly from the 1990 uh, census to the um, 2020 census is just one example. And um, so anyway, so, and there's three, by the way, Great Falls, Billings, and Missoula took this money. Mm-hmm. And so, as I understand it, so they're 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 kind of trapped, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know how this, this is going to play out. But the whole idea is just to force us, you're right, to force us into human kennels. I like that term because that's what they're going to do. They're going to stack mm-hmm. us on top of each other, take away our cars, and, and make us uh, walk everywhere. And, of course, we won't be allowed to. 15-minute cities and that silliness. So, uh, yeah, right, yeah it's, right. it's pretty pathetic. Well, uh, Diane, you mentioned, um, you know, this uh, Biden program, but actually um, uh, Obama, and let's face it, we're in the third Obama term right now. Uh, this isn't a Biden presidency. It's an Obama presidency with a uh, stick figure with a, uh, about an 80 IQ uh, standing in the office of the presidency. But uh, anyway, uh, the program that was put into play, and, and this was the name to try to make this sound all warm and fuzzy and wonderful, is the America the Beautiful Plan. And the America the Beautiful Plan was to uh, basically create all this uh, all this. wildlife area, all these areas in the country that would be uh, exempt from uh, human activity, overdevelopment. And uh, I went to one of those meetings, and it happened uh, in Bozeman, as a matter of fact. They had one of those meetings. There were probably, probably just about every NGO in Bozeman, there was a thousand people at this thing. It was at the university at Montana State. And uh, there were two of us that were there in opposition to all these uh, programs that they had in play. One of them was a state representative who lived in Bozeman, and the other one was me. And we were the only two that spoke against this stuff. And I mean, we were literally overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of the uh, NGOs and stuff that were there. Uh, Tom, you've experienced that firsthand a lot. Uh, tell us how this this NGO, this nonprofit, this, this relationship that they've created with government, they've literally taken over our government. Yeah, they definitely have. And uh, just back up a little bit, the uh, one of the other plans we're talking about that's going on in these communities uh, to uh, having to do with racial uh, equity and all that stuff is affirmatively furthering fair housing, which was under Obama. And what they were doing there is counting how many of, of different races and different uh, income levels and so forth lived in the neighborhood. And if you didn't have enough to meet the, 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 the numbers they set, then uh, communities were actually advertising for people to come into their community to, you know, try to fill the quota that they were being given from HUD. And uh, so, you know, that's another way that they do this. The, um, you know, one of the ways that the uh, these grants operate, uh, first of all, these NGO organizations that we're talking about, the American Planning Association, the, uh, you know, Sierra Club, the, um, 
you know, Nature Conservancy, on and on and on, World Wildlife Fund, all these guys, uh, all operating, they work inside with the government and they help write these uh, grant programs. And so I'll just give you an example of my own personal experience with this. Uh, my hometown of Newark, Ohio, has a courthouse and a square in the center of town. And that's, I mean, that's that's where we cruised on Saturday night. I mean, that's that that's the center of that was the center of our life there and there, there. Well, underneath there is infrastructure. There's pipes. There's wires. Some of them got to be, you know, a hundred years old. And it makes sense that they need to do something to uh, improve that, uh, replace those, and, and build it up. So the city uh, got a grant from the EPA to fix that infrastructure. Well, the grant said, not only are they gonna give them the money to fix the infrastructure, but now they had to put a roundabout on each corner of the square. You know, totally to get rid of traffic lights, you understand, because traffic lights uh, have cars creating climate change, sitting there waiting for the light to change. So we have to get rid of the traffic lights. So now they've put these ma the, the massive amount of money we're talking about here for something absolutely, totally unnecessary. Um, you know, and, and of course, the NGOs who help put all this together, a lot of that grant money goes in their pockets because they're the, they're the ones who put the program together. And uh, now we have these roundabouts on each corner of the square, and they now have two-way traffic around the square, which my brain will not accept. <laughs> I can't even drive around it because it makes no sense to me. But this is the kind of the way that they, they put these things in place. And uh, there, there are so many of these programs. The, um, you know, we have the Complete Streets program, which uh, you, you have to, uh, uh, you know, make sure you've got the bike lanes in place and several other things that you have to do with it. And so many communities I've been in have told me that, you know, you can't even get down the street anymore. Sometimes they turn the street one way, uh, you know, and and you've got the bike lanes and you've got other things put in the way of, of automobiles. What it finally made, and then you've got, um, uh, you know, they, they want to do traffic calming. Mm -hmm. So they put the, the uh, uh, you know, the bumps and the speed bumps mm -hmm. in the speed middle bumps. of the street about mm -hmm. every 20 feet. <laughs> Basically, it comes down to when it comes, you know, you want to go to the grocery and you're thinking, oh, man, I don't want to get in the car. I don't want to drive through all this stuff and deal with that. And that is one of the goals there. Getting rid of personal transportation, automobiles, is a major, major goal in all of this. And all of the attacks that we're seeing uh, on the automobile and uh, all that, that, that all comes together. The other thing that is, that is happening is... Um, they they are really going after the single family neighborhoods the 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 zoning protections for single family neighborhoods which kept out uh you know the high rises kept out any public housing things like that because these are one of the the reasons why the united states became so wealthy so fast in the in the whole league of nations is because of the recognition of private property rights. And the this is the way the average person could uh, build their own personal wealth and without having some big corporation that they ran or something like that. Personal wealth was built through private property ownership. And uh, 
Now they are saying that these neighborhoods are racist because uh, they, you know, the, the mayor of Minneapolis said the people living in these kinds of neighborhoods are uh, doing so because they don't want to live next door to other kinds of people. You know, that's, that's their excuse for this. Now they want to bring in the, uh, not only the stack and pack housing to come into that neighborhood, and their excuse is that where you have a family of four living in a home with a backyard and a driveway and a place for the kids to play and so forth, we could put a hundred families in that space and we've got a housing shortage. There is no housing shortage except something caused by government, but this is their excuse. And now they want to bring in government housing as well. What they're going to do is destroy the property values there. People will move out. They'll tear down the homes more and more and the you know the stack and pack grows. The uh, they call those kinds of neighborhoods urban sprawl, and that means you have to drive there and you have to build infrastructure and so forth. Well, the truth of the matter is, in those neighborhoods, there are shopping malls. There are there are you know the the developers and so forth build the roads going in there, and there's no extra infrastructure. There is a new tax uh, uh, revenue that comes in from it. People have jobs from that. You know, it's how you build a society. But they want to tear all all of that down and have us living in, like rats in these stack and packs. Well, um, uh, Tom, what you're talking about is pure communism. I mean, let's face it, everything goes back to the same thing. Uh, we, we've had Marxists in charge of our education, our planning, everything else. Incidentally, the American Planning Association, and you know this, so I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, the American Planning Association was funded by the Rockefeller Brothers Trust to emulate planning that was going on in the Soviet Union, and it was done in the uh, early 50s so that they we could bring Soviet planning techniques into the American uh, city planning. And we had great cities that were existing long before the American Planning Association. But uh, boy, howdy, now they're planning our world for us, and uh, they couldn't plan their way out of a out of a box. These people are complete idiots. Yeah. Dan, let me share something with you right along those lines. A quote. And when you go into your city council or you or or your local planning group, and why are they putting these plans together? And they'll talk about, well, we've got to make sure we don't have chaotic growth, that we have a nice smooth plan for the future, what we're going to do. Let me share this quote with you. The chaotic growth of cities will be replaced by a dynamic system of urban settlement. The region is formed by the economic interdependence of, of its development. The region has a single system of transportation, a centralized administration, and a united system of education and research. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah, bingo. This is from a, a 1968 report written by a Soviet Russian architect named Alexei Gutinov in a document entitled The Ideal Communist City. There it is, right there. Bingo, bingo. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I Diane, I'm gonna I want to get you back into this because uh I met in and actually had him on my program before Randall O'Toole, who wrote a book about that because of 
Portland, Oregon, of all places, because they had uh, changed the zoning laws in Portland so that they couldn't annex any land outside of a certain area. They couldn't go any further out. Uh, and that was oh, 13, 14, 15 years ago that uh, that Portland did that. Now, you lived in Portland for a long time. You practiced law there, and you saw uh, how Sovietized the whole city became, and you really saw it when Antifa and all the other crap was going on here in, in uh, uh, 2020. So I'd love to get your kind of feedback on what we've discussed so far. Well, I, I need to correct you one thing, because uh, when I was on your show on May 9th, I, I wasn't very clear in my background as far as where I lived. We lived in Portland from uh, 76 to 88, and the crime was getting so bad that mm -hmm. we moved to West Lynn, Oregon, which is an upscale uh, suburb uh, southeast of, of Portland. And we lived there from 1988 until uh, 2020. We built our dream house and thought we'd live there the rest of our lives. But, it, you know, it just um, 2020, the uh, city council was literally taken over 100% by Black Lives Matter uh, promoters, supporters, and so forth. Literally. Okay. And that, that's it. We're out of here. We're out of here. But, um, but yes, one of the things that... Um, uh, Oregon in 2019, uh, you know, the legislature and the governor, the governor that I went to law school with, Kate Brown, signed a, a law that says any city, town, whatever, uh, uh, 10,000 or more is uh, no, can no longer build single family housing. Okay, 10,000 or more. Well, Westland, Oregon is 26,000, give or take. And going down, by the way. Uh, now, I mean, literally for the first time in 2020, the population went up, 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 up till 2020, and now it's going down, 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 down. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's going to completely change the whole character there. We have lots. Uh, Westland has lots of parks. It's clean. It's basically no crime. Everything is great. And now you, um, I don't know how they're going to apply it exactly, but uh, you. You, you will no longer be able to build a house there. Yeah, you'll have to build a fourplex or a duplex or, or um, an apartment building. And, um, and now that uh, Biden is pushing, uh, well, the illegal aliens, the 7 million he brought in, have to live somewhere. And the HUD project right now is to get Section 8 housing in these suburbs and so that the illegals have a place to live. Oh, and one more thing. I, I Of course, you're right. It's just going to destroy... I mean, West, the city of Westland is just a nice place. I mean, just, I can't, we would have lived there the rest of our lives. But 10 years from now, it will be the same hellhole as Portland. But one of the interesting things was, right now in Westland, and, and I practiced law in Westland after I, I was in Portland for, in downtown Portland for quite a while, and then I brought my my law office to Westland. So I know, I know a lot about it. And Westland has a higher percentage of black residents than the state of Oregon does. 
And yet, we're, we're, mm-hmm. HUD is, would 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 um, uh, would lie to us and leave us that that the suburb our suburb is racist. I think we just lost you, Diane. Um, but certainly, yeah, that that's uh, part of these uh, programs of um, the sanctuary cities. There, you're you're back. You, we we lost you for a few minutes. Your uh, your uh, your internet. I, I told you it was unstable. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. What you've got to say isn't unstable, right. so that's good. I told you. Hmm. But okay. uh, but yeah, I mean, so I can only imagine ten years from now what what Westland would be like. It's crime ridden and uh, who knows what all. It just won't be the same. Uh, and you're right about uh, you know all the services there. People aren't driving to Portland to have their hair done, for example. All the services are right there. And mm-hmm. um, so this notion that you know you have to you have to live in a little teeny box above the grocery store. So, you, so, so because they, they take your car away from you, which of course is is the Biden plan as well. That's part of the HUD housing plan is to get you out of your car and uh, force you to be dependent on public transportation. That's it all kind of goes together, just like Tom was talking about. So, um, yeah, you can't you know. control people that have the freedom to travel and to move and right. to be right. uh, use their God-given rights. Uh, right. The only way you can do that is take away all those God-given rights. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, Tom, let's let's get into the fifteen-minute and the smart cities because there's nothing smart uh, unless you're a totalitarian. Uh, then these cities are very smart because they can control everything you do. But uh, the fact is, is smart cities and uh, 15 minute cities, the, uh, the whole concept is designed to control people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you say 15 minute cities, uh, what they really mean is that you're not going to have any cars there. You are walking to work or you're driving, you're riding your bike to the grocery, whatever the case may be. Uh, if you have to go any further than that, you're taking public transportation and, uh, uh, one of the one of the things that uh, I, I want to make clear on this, when people are looking at the the, the drive to uh, force us into electric vehicles, and we already know all the economics about electric vehicles absolutely does not work. It uh, there's you know California is a perfect example as they're trying to ban uh, gas fueled cars. And then they're telling you, well, don't charge your electrical vehicle because you know we're have an electric shortage. And uh, the a lot of people look at the millions of gas-fueled cars we have, and they put all these statistics together. What it'll take to replace all of those? Uh, they don't intend to replace all of those gas-powered cars. The electric cars will just be for those elites who need to get around, but the rest of us will be on in our shoes. You know, get around in that 15 minute city. That's what they mean that, uh, you know, everybody's just stacked on top of each other. And those high rises get higher and higher and higher. Well, eventually you can't go any higher because there's no air up there. And, uh, you know, you're in outer space. And uh, so then what do you do? 
Now you start making the uh, apartments smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, you end up, you know, maybe you have a little kitchenette and a little place to sit and a bathroom. It's kind of like a jail cell. That's about what it becomes. And they can control your electrical use. And uh, they, you will start to see that at, at uh, night, the, they may turn off the electricity. The, uh, you won't have any, uh, uh, you know, third shifts uh, working in factories, things like that. It is all controlled. And, um, you know, heaven help you if you're on the top floor of the, uh, you know, the stack and pack and you need to use the elevator to get down because you won't be able to. Maybe a fireman's pole or something. I don't know. But um, this is this is the kind of control they are looking at. They are also looking at, you know, in the early days of, of when I started fighting Agenda 21, I knew that one of the aspects of it was a limited uh, a reduction of population. I didn't talk about that very much because it was hard enough to get people to understand the threat to their property. And if I started saying, well, you know, they're, they're targeting 7 billion people here that won't be with us anymore, then you lose them. And uh, so I didn't talk about it much, but that has become the center of a huge part of what they're putting in place here. And if you begin to look at massive population reduction, then the idea of stack and packs and everybody living in the center and uh, less cars and all of that, at least makes some kind of sense. A reduction, reduction of food supplies, all of that. If that's what their goal is, then then that, you know, at least kind of comes together a little bit. But, uh, you know, meanwhile, what we're looking at in in all of this to stop us in our own transportation, to, to put us in, in that kind of a little prison, uh, you know, one of the things this was under Obama as well, and, and then it kind of stopped and now it's coming back is uh, the plan to tax us for every single mile that we drive. And I was told uh, by an activist in California just last week that a city councilman in one of the communities there said, wouldn't it be great if we could design the gas pumps so that they could read the amount of mileage your car has run. And then it would shut off if you, you know, you wouldn't be able to get gas if you've over, overdone the limit. MasterCard has come out with a card that is based on your carbon footprint and uh the products that you buy and how they uh you know are they uh carbon, uh, you know, you, they use a lot of carbon or whatever in the, in the way they're manufactured and that sort of thing. And your card will register everything that you buy and you have a limit of how much you can buy of certain carbon, uh, uh, you know, products. Mm -hmm. And if you exceed that, the card stops. And this is the kind of control we're looking at in every aspect of our lives, the, uh, our ability to travel, our ability to, you know, our money, of course, so they want to put all the money now in on online instead of cash. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then they can just shut it off and all your entire wealth disappears with a poke of a button and, uh, you know, on and on and on. So this is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what they mean by these smart cities that, that and all oh, the other thing I want to mention. I, I got this thing the other day. They, uh, I should have sent you a copy of this. They have created a new kind of street light that is a complete antenna for everything around it. Uh, it, it can do facial recognition. It, can ha it has speakers in it that it can hear uh, conversations. 
It also can, uh, it has environmental sensors and uh, it just all kinds of signs. It can change signs, all kinds of things like that to hit the, meet the, uh, the need. And uh, this is all paid for by the federal government in, uh, in these uh, uh, grant programs and so mm -hmm. forth. And, uh, you know, it, it is a complete, uh, you know, a society where everything you think, do and say is controlled, watched, heard. Uh, that's a smart community. That's what they're what they're talking about here. Yeah, it's all part of that uh, program. Google uh, put together a program for the communist Chinese where they have uh, complete facial recognition. They have total surveillance society. I've got my understanding, they've got 5 billion cameras worldwide now uh, that are part of this program. And uh, just in, in China alone, they've got over a billion of them. But this was uh, created by a Google Corporation for the communist Chinese. They're the ones that paid for it. But Google even stated in their own documents that this is a program that will be utilized worldwide. And uh, Dr. Uh, Mike, Michael Rechtenwald, uh, the Marxist professor, <laughs> I love him, he's a great guy. He's, he's now the, the libertarian ex-professor, but uh, he, he was actually thrown out of his, uh, out of his uh, chair position at uh, NYU. He was a tenured professor. Uh, and he was uh, forced to retire. They said that he had uh, uh, suffered from mental illness because he started to bring up all the surveillance society stuff that was going on. He wrote a book called Google Archipelago about that, uh, which I think is incredible. But um, anyway, Tom, what you're talking about, this surveillance society, it goes back right now, the Federal Reserve System in, in next month are scheduled to start working on their central bank digital currency, CBDC. July 1st. Yeah. And on July 1st. And that is supposed to be a program that leads to this surveillance society where they can literally control every aspect of your life by controlling how you spend your money. It's amazing. Diane, yeah, I, I, I heard you say something there. Uh, please come back. Yeah, July 1st. Right. Well, it won't be your money anymore. Right. It won't be your money anymore. If you can't utilize it, spend it, throw it away, whatever, at your leisure, your choice, it's not yours. It, it, it will belong to the federal government. They will decide when and how you can use it. And in the beginning, they will tread, I'm sure they will tread lightly because there's too many of us that still remember when we had the Bill of Rights. Okay, they'll tread lightly for a few years, but it won't take long. Mm -hmm. and, and they'll they'll start little little by little, maybe something like, uh, oh, trying to control. Uh, uh, okay, they'll say, oh, well, Mr. So-and-so, you've got diabetes, so you cannot buy this particular product. I mean, they will tread lightly in the beginning, but it will not be long before there will be a completely 100% controlling everything you do. You can't drive to see your mother-in-law in another state because you used too much uh, carbon credits or whether nonsense last month and so on and so on and so on. 
and 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 you're right. It's it's um, and when Tom was talking, uh, I it, uh, th I thought about the COVID passports they were talking about. Oh yeah, COVID mm -hmm. where you wouldn't be able to get on it. And literally, Fauci was talking about that within oh I don't know the first couple of months of the COVID outbreak. Of course, he knew it was coming because he planned the whole thing. He created the virus and he paid for it and so forth. But anyway. Um, he was talking about that early on where you wouldn't be able to get on public transportation, you know, airplanes and buses and trains and, and so forth without this COVID passport, or maybe it was a vaccination passport. I, I can't remember what it was exactly, but COVID was the excuse. Well, um, uh, like Tom was talking about, they're getting us, they're taking us out of our cars and putting us in public transportation. And if you don't have the right credentials, you won't even be allowed to get on public transportation transportation you know exactly. you, you did something the government didn't like maybe you spoke out on an issue or something so the next time you go to get on the bus to to, to visit a friend on the other side of town they go uh-uh no no you're not allowed to travel so i mean this all kind of goes together just like tom was talking about that's yeah, what they this have is a, yeah um, this is a kind of a uh, uh i guess what i would call uh, so what America's trying to do is soft communism, where they use your wallet and they use restrictions rather than going out and just beating you in the street uh, to a bloody pulp. And uh, they're going to try this until it doesn't work, and then they'll use to beat you in the street until you're a bloody pulp. Uh, because the fact is, is uh, there's still enough Americans like us, and we're of a, a generation that is not going to put up with this crap much longer. But we are also all gray hairs. We're also getting to the point where we're more in the end of our lives than the beginning. And we need to get young people to wake up so that they start getting involved and motivated. And that's really yes. what this sure. whole program is all about. That's what Tom does with what he's, he's trying to tell young people, this is your world you're inheriting. Right. Yeah. Uh, you need right. to be in the fight. You don't need to rely on old people to do the fighting for you. You need to do it yourself. Tom, what do you think about that? Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, these young people are victims they are the victims of this education cabal that uh, is behavior modification and everything. They don't know any better. When you're born, you're a blank slate. And wh what you become is what's poured into your brain and then your experiences and so forth. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I have been told by several different people that uh, in their experience with younger people, particularly people who are like uh, in high school right now, are starting to become aware that they don't like the world as they're seeing it. And uh, what are their opportunities? What are their goals? Can they have any uh, uh, you know, goals for their life, any wishes? Uh, and they are starting to begin and become a little more conservative than the generations ahead of them. And uh, I find that to be uh, very exciting. The, uh, the thing that I've, I've, I've learned is, oh, I'm sorry, what, Diane? What? I just said, cross your fingers. This yeah. is very positive. Yeah. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I found over the years of working on this, as I started to try to warn people about Agenda 21, uh, if they weren't feeling the effects of it, then they weren't concerned about it. Those who did feel the effects became our fiercest fighters. 
And uh, now everybody is feeling the effects of it. And I'm seeing much more energy uh, and concern people who want to stand up to this. And uh, one of the things that we really have got to be careful of, uh, and I, I run into people who are always saying, well, the Republic is dead. There's nothing we can do about it. We can't stop them. And I tell them, if you believe that, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's exactly what's going to happen if everybody starts to believe that. Uh, but we have opportunity to stand up to this. The thing that I have found is that these guys who are putting this stuff in place, the cost swabs and the, uh, the rest of them putting this stuff in place, have gotten, they got arrogant very quickly and they thought we're unstoppable and they started moving forward quicker than they should have. Right. And right. that is working to their detriment. And uh, what I have, you know, the, the other thing that I found that uh, the, the trying to stop it from the top down is we don't have the power to do that. Uh, you know, th as I said, they have 20,000 uh, NGO organizations that are the shock troops putting this stuff in place. We've got about a thousand organizations. We don't have the power, the money and stuff they have there. But the way our founders built our, uh, our system of government was that the local level we were to have the most uh, impact on. This is where we can sit down and talk with our county commissioners or you know, get them, throw them out of office, whatever. And this is what I've been teaching people. I, I coined the term building a freedom pod of your community. Don't worry about next door, worry about your community. And a freedom pod is designed to protect local private business, uh, private property, local individual liberty. Uh, and just do that in your community and uh, other neighbor, other communities will say, if you're successful, they say, how did you do that? And then they begin to grow. That becomes a pod, freedom pod. And I have seen this happen. I've got an organization down in Shreveport, Louisiana, that have done everything absolutely right. When they started, they had five people who were not political people, but they were concerned about what Shreveport's government was extending its uh, jurisdiction illegally into their area. They went to a city councilman and they, they tried to talk to him about it. And he basically patted them on the head and said, well, you're nice boys, but uh, this you're not going to have any impact on this. This is just the way it's done. And they decided at that moment, yeah, it is. We're going to change this. And they went to work and they have done everything right. They stack the city council meetings now with one in 200 people every single week. They have 4,000 people on their social media page. They have a means to get information out to all the people and they are doing it absolutely right. And when I, uh, Chris Crackman, the gentleman who's in charge of this organization, when I was interviewing him about this, he said the words I wanted to hear. He said, other communities are now communicating with us and asking, how did you do this? Victory, the, the way, this is what victory looks like. Victory is when the NGOs bring in a uh, the next plan. Hey, here it is, got it all right here in a box for you, got the money for you too. And the councilman looks at him and says, are you nuts? Do you know what my people do to me if we try to do this? That's what victory looks like. We have got to be there and have that pressure put on them the same way the NGOs are doing from the other side and let the people. And, and I, I believe every single city council, county commission, whatever, always has at least one guy, probably more, but one guy particularly who's the leader behind all this, pushing for all these programs. 
you focus on him and knock him out of office mm-hmm. and the other ones will go, Oh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, and, and it made me start to listen to you. So, I mean, that's very general, uh, kind of thing, but that's, that's what I'm talking about. And I've been all over this country and we are building freedom pods, uh, and, and, uh, and people are catching on, they want to learn. And that's what we're, what we're working at. Well, Tom, you're saying something that's so important to this whole discussion. People need to understand we're 95 to 99% of the population that is being, we're the dog that's being wagged by the tail that might be somewhere between 1% and 5% at the, at the most. And uh, we we've allowed this to happen because we've been patient and quiet and assumed that somehow that these people had good intentions and it would all work out. Well, guess what? They don't have good intentions. They're a bunch of totalitarians and Marxists. And even they will be surprised if they get their way, because then they'll become the cannon fodder for the power elite that really ultimately want to control everything. Yeah, they eat their own on that. And what uh, what I tell my audiences is, one of our problems is we are too polite. We lose a, a fight and we go, well, okay, that's the way it is. They lose a fight and it yes. energizes them. Yeah. That isn't going to happen again. And then yeah. they'll come at it. Yeah, right. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, the other thing that I, I think is vitally important, so, so many people, the, um, uh, the lower income people, the other, you know, uh, different races and so forth, have been targeted by these guys, and they've been told over and over again that we just want to hurt them. We are hateful people that just want to hurt them and uh, take away their programs and that sort of thing. Well, we understand economics, and we look at these programs, and we know this is a this is a plan for failure, and they are subjugating these people. They are victims as well, and it is vitally important that our side, which has the vision for freedom, the ideal of of how to live your life as as you want to live it and in, in, in a peaceful way, and we've got to come up with a means to communicate with these folks and show them we are not the hateful people they've said we are. We have a plan for your freedom, for you to have hopes and dreams and goals in your life and, uh, and, and put that positive plan together. I'm still working on ways to say that because the way we say it now, they have been trained to hear that as hate, and we have got to turn that around. But that's, uh, you know, well, that's something we have to do. Absolutely. And I call it slicing and dicing. These guys are are really good strategists. They have literally sliced and diced our society to the point now where we've got all these uh, factious groups that are fighting one another rather than focusing on who's at the center of this. If we ever quit fighting each other, if we uh, quit fighting people because they're uh, a particular color or particular uh, sex or whatever and started focusing on the fact that we're being led by a bunch of uh, totalitarian nuts that want to create a one-world system that they're completely in charge of, if we focused on that, we could win very easily. 
And uh, the numbers are far and away on our side. And I, I remember a young man, I sent you the name of a young man down in uh, Miami. It's been quite a few years ago now. A uh, young black man who was uh, uh, doing conservative talk radio down there, but he was on uh, the planning commission or something down in the Miami area. And uh, he he contacted me because he heard one of my programs on Agenda 21 and uh, asked me what he could do because they were losing their community. They were being forced to move out of their communities into white communities, and they didn't want it. They, they, you know, they wanted, they have their ethnic communities. It's, you go to New York, you go anywhere in the country, and ethnic communities like to be uh, with other people in the, in the same ethnic community. I mean, this is just so wrong that you can't put a name to it. Well, that's just human nature. It's human, it's not racist, it's human nature to want to be around like people, mm -hmm. however you define that. And that's one of the reasons why my husband and I sold our dream house, because we could no longer stand being around the liberal haters. Now, that's not to say the majority of our neighbors were liberal haters. There were probably more conservatives in that in Westland than liberals. But the conservatives were hiding in the corner and keeping their mouth shut because they didn't want to be targets. Mm -hmm. And there was so much liberal hatred coming forth. It may have been just a small percentage of them but it was so bad and that we could see the handwriting on the wall that they were deteriorating. And when I'm listening to Tom speak, uh, I'd like to tell an experience of what's going on. We moved to our beach house, which is in uh, the mouth of the Columbia River in the state of Washington, the Long Beach Peninsula. Well, there's a very small, it's a small community with a small uh, uh, school district with a horrible, horrible um, uh, grades, uh, you know, Test scores are mm -hmm. really bad, even within the state of Washington, it's, it's, it's bad, okay? And the school district, the board, the school board, the elected school board, five people, didn't give a rat's ass about educating the children and, and their test scores. They had all of the kinds of priorities, had nothing to do with the children. Well, and, the, and what's really interesting about it is the chair of the school board was reelected without opposition two years ago, even though she bust in BLM rioters, bust them in from Portland, which is about 150 miles away, to start a riot in this little community. And everybody knew it. I mean, she was out front about it. She, she owned a hotel. She put them up in her hotel and, and so forth. And, and they spent like a week here trying to trying to get the locals to join them in their in their rioting. It didn't happen. It was a failure. But the point was the whole community was in the newspaper. The whole community knew the whole community knew that the board of the school district, a chair of the chair of the school district board was this BLM promoter promoting violence. However, nobody ran against her. And she was reelected two years ago. Mm. Okay, just to give you a little bit of flavor. Okay, so a small group of us got together about a year ago and decided that we were going to try to uh, recruit. She's not up for reelection for another two years, but there's three seats up for reelection this year. And we needed to recruit people to run against the, the current board that doesn't care about the children's education. 
well, we were successful. The election hasn't been held yet, but it looks very much like um, there's going to be some major changes. Let's put it this way. We were able to get a retired superintendent who really knows his stuff, I mean, really, to run. And so it can be done. And it was just a small group of us in the in this community. I, you know, I'm relatively new. The rest of the people in the group had been here quite a while and really knew the ins and outs of the politics and stuff. But I mean, it can be done. It, it doesn't, you don't have to be an expert. I'm not an expert in education. I mean, I'm really, but the man we were able to recruit, it is, he's brilliant. And so it can be done. If there's, you just, you just have to put your head together and, and, and think of a way. Just like Tom was talking about the, uh, yeah. the what do you call it, the Freedom Pod, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Diane, so, uh, that is that is yeah. crucial in what you're saying. Saying we do not have to have a majority. Uh, you know, Sam Adams yeah. is the one who said we just needed a you know a minority that was fierce and setting the fires, brush fires of freedom in people's minds. Uh, this is what we have to do. If you had 15 right. or 20 people who are working, who are, you know, doing research, going, you get two or three uh, people who volunteer to go to every single meeting. We call them the watchers. They don't do anything but go. sit and listen. Yep. And uh, yep. those kind Just of watch. things. And then you put a plan together. You, What we have to do is get off the thing. Those of us who believe in limited government believe in that because we don't like government. We don't want to be controlled by government. We obviously need government, but not this government. And so, right. you know, we don't right. we don't like it. And then we don't want to go to city council meetings. Well, I've got a family to raise. I've got a job to do. I can't have that time for that. Me. What do we end that up with? More government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, more government because of it. Yeah. And That's I'm it. guilty of that. I'm guilty. And you know what? I'm completely guilty of that. I was too busy uh, running my law practice, and I never stepped into the into the fight until early 2017. And it really wasn't Trump that got me excited, although I was excited about him. But it wasn't because of Trump that I woke up. It was because of the reaction to his to his election mm -hmm. by those people around me, many of whom I had known for decades. It was their reaction to them and the hatred. And I was told I wasn't allowed to vote anymore because I didn't, I, you know, because I voted for Trump. You know, I heard, I heard all, I mean, people just lost their minds. I mean, they literally lost their minds. And, and, these are there were professional people, attorneys, teachers, and so forth, educated people that were joining the anti-Trump riots in downtown Portland, joining the thugs, the BLM and Antifa thugs, right after he was elected. That went on for months, even after his inauguration, went on for months and months. But it was their reaction to mm -hmm. Trump even right. though he'd done very little at that point, because he was, mm -hmm. you know, he hadn't even been sworn in. They had heard very little yeah. opposition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they got away with everything, right. They yeah. thought they yeah. were in charge, right. I, but that's what got me involved, and I realized how far, how much damage had been done to the country. Well, I was beginning to realize it because of Obama. I mean, I saw what Obama did. He did everything he could to damage race relations in the United States. I say he created BLM. His his voice created Black Lives Matter. Sure he set the stage, all the racial tensions, and he pretended that the police were were chasing after black men and, sh and shooting them in the streets. And he's still talking that way. 
That's what community organizers do, Diane. I I want you to uh, tell Tom a little bit about your lawsuit with the uh, Oregon Bar uh, and how they treated you when uh, you were openly uh, conservative. Well, okay. (laughs) Okay. The law, let's see. Okay. I I started writing for, again, I, I, I woke up. I woke up on January 26, 2017, when I attended a, it was a casual evening with other attorneys in my county, Clackamas County, which is in, you know, a suburb of uh, Portland. And I, every person, there was, they were all women, all attorneys. I didn't know any of them uh, to a person, except for me, were quite literally having hissy fits bawling, screaming, et cetera, because Trump had just been sworn in. And I'm just, I mean, two hours later, I drive home. I walk in the door. My husband says, well, what, what, you know, how'd it go? I was speechless. I couldn't get the words out of my mouth because my brain was still in a fog from what I had seen and heard. I mean, it was that, it was that. Okay. So I started writing for, um, for uh, uh, several blogs, and within a year, uh, three people, let me see here, let me think on this a minute. Three people, two of which were attorneys, filed bar complaints against me because they didn't like my articles. Uh, so, uh, all right, and uh, and the Oregon State Bar, and now, okay, Oregon State Bar, their, their, their jurisdiction begins and ends with your law practice. They can't get their their nose into your private life, things that you're doing outside. And so it had nothing to do with my, any of my cases or any of my clients, had absolutely nothing to do with anything. But so, and attorneys get complaints all the time that are that have nothing, that, that are worthless. They could have and should have just sent a polite letter to the complaining party and closed it up and that was that. But no, instead they opened a complete invest, all three times opened investigations against me. And uh, uh, I, since they had no jurisdiction, one of them, I just sent them the copy of the, of the first amendment and just laughed it off. One of them, I hired an attorney to, to save my license, but it uh, really wasn't necessary in the long run because they closed it up fairly within a year or so they closed them up because they had, they had no, they had no case, they had no jurisdiction, you know, but the punishments in the process, see, and everybody knew, well, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people knew that they were going after me for my articles. So it's to scare everybody, it's to keep everybody, keep your mouth shut, don't keep your license, you know, keep your mouth shut, don't, 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 certainly don't promote Trump. And these three articles did not promote Trump at all. Uh, one was about the transgender movement that it was fairly new. They were transgendering the children. Uh, Obama started that during his term, transgendering the children. And um, so one of the articles had to do with that. And um, so anyway, so that's not the reason I'm suing them. I, uh, they didn't do anything directly to me. They did something to every single Oregon attorney. In 2018, they sent they put a two-page uh, diatribe in the in the monthly magazine, basically saying you better watch yourself. If you're a Trump supporter or you support his policies, you keep your mouth shut or your license is in jeopardy. That's a that's a violation of, of our, our civil rights for one thing, and and it's a law. It's against the law. 
Keller versus uh, State Bar of California in 1991 Supreme Court case said, uh, uh the Oregon State Bar is not allowed to do anything political. Well, they've been doing things political forever, you know, for decades. You know, they've been ignoring that, but that was kind of the proverbial last straw. So there are two sets of, of um, uh, there's two different lawsuits against them for, for that. I, me and, an, and another attorney are uh, plaintiffs, and then uh, a the other case has got, I think, three plaintiffs, four plaintiffs. We each have separate civil rights attorneys at separate cases based on separate uh, uh, theories of law. And if, here's the key, here's the key, which I forgot to tell you, Dan, last time, is if we're, it's going to go to the Supreme Court, according to my attorney, okay? It's going to go all the way up. If they take certiorari, if, if we win, all of the mandatory bars across the United States will be closed. That'll be it. That would be and a wonderful thing. And the licensing will just go through the states, like mm -hmm. like doctor's licenses and nurses' licenses and then, and then accountants and whatever else will just go through the state instead of these these huge, I mean, the do, I mean, the dues are huge and we're supporting and they're using our dues or I don't know what California or Washington or any other state bars do, but Oregon was using our dues to promote, illegally promote all kinds of political stuff. Hmm. One of the things being um, uh, promoting um, uh, illegal aliens. And, and keeping them, helping them, uh, you know, they had all these different things they were doing to keep the illegal aliens uh, from being deported and so forth. And this is like, this started like 20 years ago, long before Biden came along. But uh, so anyway, so that'll be kind of interesting if, if and when it ever, I think it's another two or three years before it works its way up to the Supreme Court. So that's where we're at with that. <laughs> oh, that'd so, be a good thing. I mean, yeah. if you can get rid of... It's not going to bother my license anymore. <laughs> Well, bar associations around the country have State been bars. political. Yeah, for most of them are owned by the, by the hard left. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, um, let, let's... Yeah. Uh, well, let's, Oregon, Washington, California, all the bars are owned by the hard left, all three of them. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's talk about uh, carbon. Uh <laughs> I've got that on my list of things that uh, we need to talk about. Let's talk about carbon because they are saying that CO2, the gas of life, uh, under the Obama administration, they actually he actually got the EPA to uh, label carbon dioxide is a poisonous gas, okay, which is the stupidest thing. I mean, they, they should have disbanded the EPA when they came up with that. But anyway, they created, uh, they, they made a CO2 a dangerous gas. Now, carbon. What? Carbon is the enemy of mankind, except that our entire planet and everything, including us as human beings, are made of carbon. So uh, to say that uh, carbon should be completely banned is to say that the human race and everything on the planet should be banned. Tom, I know you've got some really, really good, strong feelings about this. Let me oh, baby, let me tell you, let me tell you. We've, uh, huh. yeah, the, um, huh. what we've been fighting out in, uh, in, uh, 
South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, or not Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, uh, Iowa, Nebraska, uh, the, the idiocy of carbon capture pipelines. The idea of capturing CO2 out of the air and burying it in the ground to protect us from climate change, that uh, this is carbon is, is the real force of climate change. And uh, there are these private companies, corporations, uh, there's, there's uh, uh, Summit Carbon Solutions, Navigator uh, Ventures, and uh, BlackRock is another one in this, who, who is all these things we've talked about, BlackRock's behind all of it with the massive amounts of money. And they are literally going after massive amounts of private farmland to put this carbon capture pipeline across their property and destroying their ability to raise crops. And supposedly, this is all going in the ground in, in Illinois and uh, uh, North Dakota. They're going to stuff it there and, 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 and put it in these pipelines. Well, the truth of the matter is, you know, first of all, there's massive amounts of money from uh, Biden's uh, uh, infrastructure bill for this. And uh, you know, the, one of the things we found, uh, I, I've got a U.S. Navy chart that shows that we are actually in a carbon uh, shortage, a, mm -hmm. a real shortage of it. Uh, we need about 1,600 parts per million just as an average amount to keep the plants go growing, the trees and everything. And we're at about 400 right now. And here they are burying it in the ground saying we're protecting the environment. The other half of this is that they, you know, the, the whole drive for solar and wind power, that we're going to get rid of all other sources of power except solar and wind. And uh, I know you've seen the photographs of, as far as the eye can see, these solar panels, which, by the way, to make a solar panel, you need oil, <laughs> you need other things. The wind turbines need oil to turn on and on. But, you know, remember when we used to call environmentalists tree huggers? Now you have these massive amounts of these solar panels where there's not a tree in sight on these. And underneath there on those panels is infrastructure for the wiring and everything. And it's cement. When I first got involved in, in fighting these idiots, but clear back in the early 90s, uh, I would get on a, a radio show like, like yours, Dan, and there would always be a caller who would call in and say, Tom, <laughs> you are part of the AstroTurf crowd. You want to pave the earth. No, I don't, but they do. You know, the hypocrisy of this, I can take you through almost every single environmental program that they are promoting and show you how that is damaging the environment. We now want, they now want to have these millions and millions of acres of these solar panels and on, and where nothing grows underneath and the to, the uh, wind towers where uh, you know again millions of acres of those where nothing's going to be flying endangered species whacked out of the sky and so forth and uh you know all of this will create about 4% of the energy that we need to run the, our, our community, our, our, our society. And 
all of it. And then Bill Gates wants to put a layer over the whole earth to block out the sun. This is to protect the environment. These people are nuts, but it has nothing to do with protecting the environment. It is about control, control our food supply, control people in the rural areas and, and control the, uh, the energy use that we have. And that's, that's the bottom line for it all. We are fighting across the states. This is what I was doing, barnstorming those states uh, two weeks ago, and I was there a year ago in Iowa. And we have gotten farmers and so forth. They're they're trying to get the farmers to sign easements to let them voluntarily come and take their land. And a lot of them are just intimidated. They're afraid and don't know what to do. These are powerful corporations. And they, uh, the, the thing that was driving me absolutely mad as I first got involved in this, where there were so many county commissioners who were opposed to this, but what they're trying what the uh, these private corporations are trying to do is get um the utilities boards appointed utilities boards to grant them the uh the right of being a utility and having the right of eminent domain to take this property and here you had these local county supervisors and city councilmen and even state legislators saying well golly we're opposed to this but there's nothing we can do cuz the board says and I went nuts with that. And I said, appointed boards are created by you, elected officials. You are their boss. You were elected to protect the rights of your citizens. Stop being cowards hiding behind boards because you don't want to talk to us. That's what it's all about. We have gotten them, people to uh, uh, start to rise up a lot of local officials starting to rise up on this thing. And I heard yesterday that these corporations are worried now about us and the fight we're fighting because this is local folks who are standing up to them. And that's how it works. That is exactly how it works. Go ahead, Diane. What, how does Christy know? We have a, we have a cabin uh, in the Black Hills west of Custer. And, um, uh, one of the reasons we bought theirs because there's no uh, metro. It's not within the metropolitan statistical area of of Rapid City. But um, uh, what is she doing about these uh, carbon capture pipelines? What's her attitude? Absolutely nothing. This I I was shocked across the country. She has such a uh, reputation of being a good yeah. conservative. And when I got to South Dakota, everyone hates her guns there Mm -hmm. that are fighting these things, that she has done absolutely nothing. One of of the big sponsors of her um, inauguration party, which she had, was... was uh, Summit Carbon Solutions, one of these guys doing this. She is in their pocket, and people are furious over it. Uh, and, and she has helped stop uh, several things that the state legislatures tried to do. And uh, in South Dakota, of course, you don't get elected unless you're a Republican. So all the Democrats run as Republicans. So here they have a majority of the legislature, but they are... Uh, uh, you know, doing all this stuff to, to they're killing these bills that are trying to stop this. However, uh, last week, the uh, the corporations involved in this thing 
overstepped and I think they stepped into it because uh, there is a, a, Jer a gentleman, Jer uh, Jared uh, 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 Billings, uh, who I happened to meet while I was out there. He's a farmer. And uh, they had two, they had surveyors come from these private corporations to come on his property. They literally walked in his house. His wife was in the shower and heard people walking around downstairs. And she called her husband, he was out in the field. And he did a six second recorded conversation. And he said, we need to get the sheriff there. And that's all he said. They accused him of threatening them with violence. And last week they arrived with sheriff deputies and came on his property. And they had big machinery going in, digging 90 foot holes into his land. They damaged his bean crop, did all kinds of other things like that. This was done as intimidation to show that these farmers had better not stand up to them or this was, was what's going to happen to them. The result of that has been the farmers are outraged and are beginning to rise up. And now they've overstepped it. And this is going to be a huge step forward. But this is the tyranny that we're dealing with with these people who think they have the right to do anything they want to do and just take the land and, and put this stuff in place. And then we find out where they said they're just putting the CO2 in the ground to protect the environment. Now we find out oh, golly gee, we're going to make jet fuel out of it and some other things. And in North Dakota, a bunch of that land runs under Bill Gates' land, who's mm -hmm. now going to probably benefit from making money off of jet fuel that's coming underneath his property. So this is how these guys operate. Oh, it's just a coincidence there, Tom. It's just a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all a coincidence. Well, here's where you need uh, the county sheriffs. Did the county sheriff... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go go into the Billings property and kick those uh, trespassers off. This is what no, they came with them as deputies, and I what the, there was a there was a judge, there was a judge who made a a, a, a decree that uh, Jared was not allowed to interact with these corporation people, and the sheriffs came out to to fulfill the judge's orders, and. You know, there and yeah, that it is it is a total mess with that. But you're right, the sheriffs are the ones who should be the ones leading the pack, and some of them are. But uh yeah, so, you know, this is this yeah. is the problem. Yeah. Yeah, common sense be damned. Uh there's there's very little common sense with any of this. And I'm I'm glad, uh, Diane, I'm glad that you and Tom brought up Christy Nome because there's an awful lot of people in our country that think somehow uh, she is an incredible uh, hero of the freedom movement. And in fact, um, you know, a lot of, I know some of the legislators in uh, South Dakota that are very conservative and they say she is an absolute disaster and part of the deep state, part of the rhino crowd that uh, seems to take over an awful lot of uh, so-called Republican politics. But she's no, that's a what I've been told. She grew up on a ranch. Yeah, you know, you you. Uh, well, let's face it. There's a lot of well-meaning people that go down the rat hole because of the money trail, and that is the problem. You know, they it it's like uh, you can't you can't be a prostitute uh, and and then somehow claim to be a virgin. 
you know, it doesn't work that way. Once you start taking the money, then you're kind of sucked into the system. And at, at some point, you become controlled by that system. And I think that happens to an awful lot of people. Well, like China Joe, China Joe, you know. Well, he was, a, yeah. Yeah, he was a crook and a creep from day one, wow. <clears throat> you know, and that I mean, that's why he could get elected in a state like Delaware, because they've got fewer than a million people and a creep like him could get elected there because uh, frankly, it's uh, it's you know it's not hard to campaign in a state that that small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, hundred farmers out in South Dakota that are now faced with eminent domain lawsuits from these you know these are corporations, these are private corporations who are just deciding I'm going to take your land. And uh, I believe it was uh, I'm not sure it was Navigator I believe that said that. Um, uh, if we succeeded in stopping the pipeline, then all of those properties where they were holding easements that the farmers had signed, well, that's our land and we'll sell that land. If this project is killed, then all of those easements should be null and void because it's for a specific project that isn't going to happen. But that's not how they're looking at it. And as I said, these these private corporations have just decided that's exactly what they're going to do and they're going to, uh, and nobody's gonna stand in their way. And if, if Christy Nome had stood up and said, you're not going to do this to these people, we're going to protect the property rights of our constituents, uh, it's this could be ended. But instead, she's playing games with them. Well, um, and it, it goes back to the uh, the uh, I'm trying to think of the the Supreme Court case uh, Keogh, I think, uh, yes. uh, in uh, in Massachusetts, they uh, Pfizer Corporation, a private corporation, was allowed to uh, issue eminent domain uh, against a private neighborhood. And they were allowed to take that land under uh, so-called eminent domain. But the fact is, is then the Supreme Court, which was quite liberal at that time, uh, allowed that to happen. And that created a climate that now is allowing private corporations because of the public good. That's what they call it, yeah. the public good. Well, they stole, basically, they stole a, an elderly widow's uh, house. She, is that the one? That's the yep, key. That's it. it. Yep. Yeah. That's you know, the yeah. one. Yeah. 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 The project out, was never completed, and it's just an empty field today. Mm -hmm. They never Pfizer really? never built the plant that they were planning on. So and it was for nothing. In the meantime, she's homeless or whatever. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I think yeah. she's dead now, but uh, yeah, it left her without a without a home and. All they managed to do is they paved part of it, Tom, but they didn't build any building there. And it was supposed to be creating this wonderful uh, economic uh, opportunity for right. that whole city. And in fact, it never even happened. And they didn't give the land back. They uh, they kept it. Yeah. Well, uh, Carbon. Yeah, you know, I'm glad glad that we uh, had this discussion about carbon because we are in a uh, what's called a carbon drought right now, carbon dioxide drought, because we do have so little carbon dioxide. In fact, Tom, 
tell me, uh, isn't this part of the plan for population control? When you reduce carbon to a certain level, you're going to end up having uh, crop failures happen a lot. And uh, isn't this part of their UN Agenda 21 2030 program to reduce population by more than a, a 7 billion people? Absolutely. There's no question about that. You, you control the food supply. The, uh, you know, the one thing, that's why I was talking about, you know, these pipelines and these solar panels and everything where they are taking so much farmland away so we don't have any place to grow the crops, uh, but also taking the carbon away so that the crops won't grow. And uh, so, you know, they, they leave no stone unturned. Every single thing that can can uh, affect their, their system, they go after it and, and take control of it. And uh, yeah, that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Well, and you talk about how far this goes back. I, I remember uh, reading something in 1976 uh, when they had a UN conference on, uh, on the... Um, uh, biosphere, and uh, in that conference, they talked about how land cannot be treated like a, a normal asset, that it has to be controlled by the state. And this was a UN program clear back then, and at the time, I believe the lady who was in charge of that particular UN uh, program was the same lady who uh, I believe she's from uh, Norway, uh, Brundtland. I believe she was the uh, the one that helped set the table for Agenda 21, wasn't she? Yeah, Gro Brundtland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's just so many different <laughs> things to, to to look at here. <laughs> My brain went out and was out of whack here. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah. I, but that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to make everybody's brain go out of whack so that they start to realize that this is real. Uh, Tom, the, your program that you're talking about, Freedom Pods, this is a great, this is a great way to wrap up this discussion. Let's get into local activism. Diana's been involved in it. She talks about the school board that they did out in her community and uh, in the, uh, Washington State, right at the headwaters of the Columbia River, or not headwaters, uh, the, the mouth of the Columbia. Uh, but this is the sort of thing that if we can get more county commissioners and elected officials in that are good people, and then the other part of that is that we need to hold the ones who are not good people accountable and get them out of office. And uh, we, I, it, it can happen, but people cannot do it by sitting on the sidelines expecting someone else to carry the load for them. This is a, this is a deal. You've got to be part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Isn't that yeah. correct? Absolutely. And, and what happens now is uh, even uh, a lot of good activist people, uh, well, they're running their families and their homes and you know their jobs and so forth, and they don't want to be involved in it. But then something really wacky comes up, 
that the local government's doing. And so then they, they're saying, they start talking about it. John, do you know anything about this? Have you heard anything about what this is going on? Hey, Sally, what do you know about this? By the time you've asked all those questions, they've got it in place because we're already coming up behind. We're always on the defense trying to, uh, to stop what's going on. And what I'm telling people is it's time to go on the offense. We've got to change the debate that the debate needs to be that freedom is the uh, the bottom line. And these programs that you're putting together here, you know, how did that rate in that? And um, I, I, uh, a, a good friend of mine, Dan Titus, uh, has put together what he calls the, 20, uh, the 244 plan. He's got 244 questions that, that ask city councilmen when they start saying, oh, here's the plan we're going to put in place to cut our carbon footprint. And, and, you, know, and, and you, you start asking questions like, what percentage, when we put all of this in place in our community, what percentage of the uh, effect on uh, climate change will be affected by that? You start asking questions like this. They can't answer. They have no answer for that. And what the first thing that I uh, I tell people in putting a plan, a freedom pod together, first of all, you've got to do research. You've got to know who your enemy is and dig down in uh, who the players are, who these NGOs are in your community. And uh, also look at the comprehensive plan as it stands now and the different programs that are in place and look for one single sentence anywhere in that comprehensive plan that says anything about protection of private property. The, the, the fact of the matter is, all this is all, you know, sustainable, sustainable, sustainable is the trigger word to get us to voluntarily give up our liberties. It has nothing to do with protecting the environment, but that's the word they use. Everything has to be sustainable. And if, if private property is protected, sustainable plans cannot be imposed. And so that's why I have focused so much on private property. But begin to look at, at that and go through it. You will also find uh, certain areas of town, uh, they have a plan. Maybe it's particularly they start out in bigger cities as the, the lower income neighborhoods that, uh, hey, we can go in there and we tear all this down and build a big, shiny new Taj Mahal in there for our community. And we can have new hotels and we can have new restaurants and all this kind of stuff. And there are people in those neighborhoods who own their own property and people who own their own businesses, little mom and pop shops. They come in there with the bulldozers and tear all that down. And those people have lost their hopes, their dreams, their property. They can't afford to live there. And when they build the new Taj Mahal shopping mall, are their little stores going to be featured in there? No. And so one of the things we can do to build our movement, to spread on this, go into those neighborhoods and talk to them. Tell them what's going to happen. The worst nightmare of these globalists trying to put all this together is for those people to show up at city council and testify. And step by step this way, knowing what's going on, uh, you begin to build uh, your freedom pod. You begin to change the debate to where we are demanding freedom as the bottom line of this instead of trying to defend it. And uh, that's what we have to. We have to turn that around and, and, and take control of it. Tom, uh, I'll make a comment to that, too, because I hear this defense, defense, defense. Uh, no war was ever won by playing defense. 
it does not work that way. And I know you live in Virginia. Certainly, uh, the the battles around Richmond uh, in the Civil War are a perfect example. Uh, defense only lasts so long, and then you get the crap kicked out of you. Absolutely right. Yes, yeah. totally agree. And uh, and that's why I'm seeing. Uh, I talked about the the folks down in Shreveport. One of the things that they live around Caddo Lake down there, which runs between Louisiana and Texas. And these people, a lot of them have their own boat docks, for example. And there, there are oil wells in the lake. They've never had a problem with them and so forth. All of a sudden, to protect the environment, they're making these rules there. And one of the things they were going to do was take away the boat docks uh, of, of the private citizens there. And what uh, Chris and his guys did was they went in and took photographs of a boat dock. They put a flyer together. They put the circle in it with the slash. Wouldn't be allowed to do this anymore. And they had a couple paragraphs what that meant. They went door to door and told people, you're already a victim of this. And then they, they opened up a social media page and they started putting those kinds of things on there as well. They got around the media by, by you know, hand delivering things and social media. 4,000 people on their social media page, hundreds of people who are activists getting out there doing things. And one of the things, and I told them this and they, and, and they listened, the uh, do not we talk about Agenda 21 and everything. We're giving you background of where this stuff comes from. But do not walk into your city council meeting. You get those three minutes on to talk to them and go in there and start saying, you're implementing UN Agenda 21. If there's a trap door under where you're standing, you're gone. They're mm -hmm. not going to talk to you. Uh, but focus, keep it simple. You cannot restore the republic in one day. Keep it simple, focus on a specific issue, and why are you opposed to it specifically? And focus that way on it, and bring them reasoned arguments about that, and uh, and begin to expose these NGO groups that have a history from all over the country, all over the world, and uh, begin to discredit them. The only reason they have any power is because your elected officials give it to them. We can change all of this and turn it around from that level, and it'll move up to the county level, it'll move up to the state level, and that'll begin to affect the federal level instead of doing it the other way around. And that's that's what I mean by it all. No, that's right. It, 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 uh, the statement has been made by a lot of people, all government is local, and the fact is, we're losing that with all this regionalism, with all this uh, COGS, Council of Governments, they're trying to take away local elected leadership because they know that that could be their Achilles heel. That's why we need to start refocusing on local elected leaders. That's the way it's gonna have to be. Diane, I wanna give you a, a, a minute to respond to that as well. Yeah. I mean, just the average person, that's all you can do. You know, step forward if you're interested in something. What got me interested in education, I don't have children or grandchildren, but what got me, uh, shall I say, focused on what was happening in the schools was when I was in West Lynn, and they we allegedly uh, had the best school district in the state, supposedly. Uh, <clears throat> 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people, young families were moving into Westland just for the benefit of the schools. Of course, now the schools have gone downhill. They're, they're little more than indoctrination centers. But, but anyway, uh, I discovered that my little teeny uh, little neighbor girls, three little girls, like 
kindergarten, first grade, second grade in the same family, they they weren't they couldn't go to the local school. A brand new building that my seven thousand dollars a year taxes paid for, a brand new building, they couldn't go, which is two blocks from their house, couldn't go there because they were transgendering all the children. And when the mom went to talk to them about it, you know, excuse my daughters from from these lessons, blah blah blah. She was told by all the teachers and this principal, that's not your call. So here she's paying all wow. her paying all those taxes, huge, huge taxes to the school, and they can't even use it. So they now live in Idaho. They they escape. But uh, that's what I really start focusing on because that's abuse. That's child abuse. There's no way to cut it. I don't care how you explain it, how you sugarcoat it. It's child abuse to take a little five, six, seven-year-old, even a 10 or 12-year-old little boy and say, well, you're not really a little boy. You know, somebody just wrote that on the birth death, uh, birth certificate, death certificate, birth mm -hmm. certificate when you were born. So no, you're not really, that, that's child abuse. There's no other way to put it. So that's what really got me starting to focus on the schools. And then when we moved here, and uh, it dawned on me that there was a BLM thug was the chair of the school district uh, on the board. I go, oh, no, this cannot stand. Oh, yeah, and she doesn't know if she's male or female, by the way. She has to put <laughs> pronouns there. Yeah, she puts Neither pronouns in all her official. Yeah. <laughs> That's, amazing. That's amazing. Well, uh, you know, the key to that, Diane, the key to that is I think more more parents in this country have got to realize that the oh, resources absolutely. are there to homeschool. You do yes. not have to have your kids in a building run by a bunch of uh, lunatics because there are a lot of good curriculums, a lot of programs out there that are available online, and you can share with your neighbors. If if uh, one person is a stay-at-home mom and she's willing to have kids come in and, uh, you know, all kind of study together online, I mean, you can do all this stuff online, and it can be done correctly, and it can be done in a fraction of the time that it takes in a public school. Yes, and what's interesting about this 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 uh, school district has been really in the how do I say it? Been a very poor school district for many years, and there's many people here that homeschool because of that. And then also there's an, an adjacent school district not that far away, you know, riding the bus. And we have children here that ride the bus for an hour to get to that other school district because and they they'll take you if they've got a spot for you because the quality has been so bad for so long here. And they have really high quality in the adjacent school district. And, uh, but no, nobody, apparently nobody cared enough to step forward and do something about it and, and, and elect some school district or, or board members that would, that would uh, set it straight again or get a decent, uh, I don't know, decent superintendent and so forth in there to fix it. And so now we're hoping we can do that, but, uh, yeah. Well, keep doing it. Diane, yeah. keep doing that. Uh, what, what you're doing is incredibly important for the community. So continue to do that. Uh, thank you for being our guest today. I think we had a great discussion. Thank you for being part of that. Tom, I want to give you a minute to talk about American Policy Center. And I also want you uh, to send me and maybe Diane, you'd probably be interested in this too. I'd like to see that 244 questions 
that you should ask your uh, city council or county commission. I would love to have my hands on that. I'll circulate the crap out of it. We're working on it. I'm trying to pull all these these tools together. We, by the way, have a uh, an activist handbook that we put together on how to fight back in a community. The first half of it is how to organize. The second half of it is background information, what we talked about here. And and you can do this all with, with uh, uh, school boards as well. So it all, all the tactics uh, work together in there. But this give you the idea. So that's what we're doing. The American Policy Center, our website is AmericanPolicy.org. And uh, I want to tell you, I have started working very closely with CFACT. I think you know CFACT, yeah, Craig Rucker, yep. and so forth, yep. Mark Morano. And uh, I am going to be their grassroots uh, coordinator for these things, to, to build Freedom Pods. They're helping me, uh, give me the resources to do some things uh, in this. So we're working together. So uh, they're that's a great what we're, group. What we're up to. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. CFACT uh, is a great group. Yeah. And, and of yeah. course, American Policy Center is a great group. Uh, I have to tell you, Tom, uh, you were you an American hero, whether people uh, recognize that quite as much as they should. And uh, I don't know, you still work with Kathleen Marquardt, don't you? On Yes, on yeah. Issues? She's come on board with me with CFACT as well. So we're all working together. Yeah. Well, I, I know Kathleen quite well, too, and she's a dynamite lady. So you've got a really, really good group that you're working with there. Uh, Tom, I you know, this has been a, a very, very productive program. I hope people that had a chance to uh, listen to this program, we record all of these. These all go into my archives. So they, they need to go to the archives, go to uh, our websites, and uh, pick up these uh, these programs. You can share it with anybody. And uh, we need to make sure people understand that this is the battle of our entire existence as humanity. And whether you realize it or not, uh, what Tom is doing, what Diane is doing is trying to be the the watchman on the wall sounding the alarm if we don't win this battle within the next 10 years, humanity will no longer exist as we know it. It's that simple. And I'll make that statement without any reservations. Would you say I'm wrong on that, Tom? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Absolutely. But uh, we've got to not look down at our feet in defeat. We have to look up, move forward, and change the debate and take the offense. That's yeah. exactly right. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand.